Welcome to Behind the Bookshelves. My name is Richard Davis. And this Abe Books podcast is dedicated to telling the stories behind books and the people who love them. Today, we're continuing to celebrate the 25th anniversary of Abe Books by interviewing sellers who joined our website in 1996, the first year of our existence. We're speaking to Yovanka Hammond, who owns Hammond's Books and Antiques in St. Louis, Missouri, an eclectic store offering a wide variety of wonderful things. Hammond's opened in 1979, but this journey isn't just about books, and I'm going to let Yovanka explain. Welcome, Yovanka. Oh, thank you, Richard. This is a lot of fun and a wonderful opportunity. Thank you. Thank you for joining us. All right. So you started out selling things in 1979, but not necessarily with books. Can you explain how it all began for you? Yes. Well, you know, I had done a lot of things. Uh, I was a translator in Eastern Europe. I worked as a in the advertising at Macy's. I worked in my father's nightclub. I did all sorts of things. And so I was always intrigued with the idea of having a business. Even as a kid, I made clothes, doll clothes, and opened a little shop, which was really in the basement of the house. Then my sister came and bought everything on credit, and I had to close. So I wanted to have an ongoing shop. So I, uh, my mother had opened a, a vintage costume jewelry store after my father died. She was very gutsy. And it intrigued me. The whole street intrigued me. And I found there was another building for sale. So we bought the building and I had a huge art deco collection I'd been collecting since the fifties. And I put everything up for sale to open the store. And this went on, I began importing things from France. I would find art deco around the States in different parts when people would call and tell me they had things for sale. Then there came a time when the importing was difficult and I couldn't get things cleared through customs because the French suddenly decided that Art Deco was valuable. So I thought, I don't know what I'm going to do. I love having a business. And I thought of all the things I love. I love coffee. I love perfume. And I love books. So my brother at that time was working in a very large secondhand bookstore. I think you've been to some of those, haven't you? Oh, yeah, we know the big one, yeah. Yes, yes, right, the, the big one, a big one. And he said, oh, you should do secondhand books. And I thought, well, at that time, I was already selling new books on antiques because there really wasn't anywhere people could buy them unless they sent for them in the mail. And that was cut short by the opening of Barnes and Noble. And they had a huge section on antiques. So I thought, I can't really compete with that. So I, my brother gave me a book. This is really fascinating. He gave me a book on how to open a secondhand bookstore. Of course. And I, yes, There's a book on everything. I, yes. And I read the book and I was so totally intrigued by the man and his sort of very no-nonsense philosophy about it, and yet his very charming attitude 
to having a bookstore. So I called the publisher and I asked if they would give me his number. I wanted to call him and talk to him. Now they wouldn't give you the number of Hem Hemingway, but this man, I don't think they ever had anybody call who wanted to talk to him. So they gave me the number and I called and as luck would have it, he had died the month before. Well, I had a wonderful conversation with his wife and she inspired me. And I thought, well, I'll have my kind of bookstore and it will be a bookstore full of surprises where people will find things they want, but they'll also find things they never dreamed they wanted. So that was the beginning. And that started in 1995. That was when I really started seriously selling books. And it, it's, it's a wonderful adventure. I love selling books because people who read are so interesting. And when I sold antiques, I enjoyed that too. But there was a wonderful kind of expression that somebody uh, talked about, about how, and this happened often when you're selling antiques, somebody would come and look at something and they'd say, oh, that's very nice. But my grandmother had one and it was bigger and it had more carving and it had more color. So the sign went around the street that said, the only person who's interested in what what grandma had is grandpa. <laughs> so <laughs> anyway, it, it you know, it, it really changed my life. It right. was fascinating. So what does a store look like today? Can you describe it? Yes. Um, you know, it evolves all the time. But I being a being a person, I love surprises in life. Uh, I can live with a certain amount of unpredictability. And so in my house and in my store, everything is at angles. And it's kind of surprising. It creates all kinds of interesting spaces. It's in a small store. It creates very intimate spaces where people can be there uh, looking at a book and nobody would ever see them because it, it's sort of off in a corner. And in fact, I have even gone off and locked people in, <laughs> gone home, but luckily remembered them. And <laughs> in fact, this is interesting. Even one time, a man who had been locked into the store, and it's a deadbolt, so you can't open it from the inside. But he very cleverly moved a shelf that was in front of a door at the bottom of the steps, and very neatly, he moved it, and he got out, and he closed the door. It was unlocked, of course, but I thought, well, there is a resourceful man. I would like to have him around. Yeah. So you've got books next to jewelry, next to antiques. Yes. Well, I feel, you know, I'm so lucky. I have, I come from a family of painters and musicians. And so having all of these visual things around is really elevating. And I love having the prints around, and of course the jewelry. I can go into the store and decide what to wear today and take it out of the case and sometimes sell it off of my neck. So, but um, uh, it's, it's as you say, it's not a traditional store. It, um, uh, I, th I think that one of the things I, I appreciate the stores, I have a lot of collectible books and rare books, but 
I like meeting people who read. I think that's how we all get started. You know, collecting books is another facet of this business, but uh, it's fascinating when somebody uh, decides there's a book they're so passionate about or they love it so much that they want every edition. So that's a different kind of collecting. Yeah. You know, there are people that that, uh, sometimes they haven't even read the books, but they collect them. But I like the people who read. I like the, when they come in and they tell me they're looking for a book and then they tell me why they're looking for it. Or um, I think another facet of my business, um, which I didn't they, I didn't mention much about that, but I started in the early days of, I started sending uh, bookmarks all over the country to Barnes and Noble and different bookstores, and they would send customers to me because they're always they always want to find a solution for a customer when they can't help them. And I still have a group of about forty people who still call me regularly, and I know them intimately. I know everything about their lives. I'm sure I know more than probably their brothers or sisters know because they feel free to tell me about their lives. Um, uh, for instance, there's a man who won't buy, doesn't believe in any book on health published after 1950. So that keeps me busy finding things for him. But I enjoy that that uh, the the whole idea of imagining what they look like. And just as we could be imagining that now if we weren't looking at each other, right? So these are like uh, customers you correspond with, but you've never. Yes, I talk to them on the phone, and sometimes oh. they'll they'll call if I don't hear from them for a month or two months. I call to see if they're all right. They call to check on me, and I do, I think it would in a way it might even be ruined if I ever met them. So, do you know but that? You, uh, but you know what they read. Yes, I mean, do you know that show? The bells are ringing. No. It's where Judy Holliday operates a switchboard. Right. She has this communication with all the people who are on that service. Yeah. Okay. It's fascinating. You know everything. (laughs) Right. So you also sell um, prints and posters too. Yes. Yes. I have a lot of old movie posters um, and a lot of French ones too that I bought when I'd go over there to buy Art Deco. Right. Uh, And it's very interesting because so many of them are American movies and uh, but they're in French and they're dubbed in French, of course. And uh, the posters are all in French, but they're all the American actors and famous people that we know. So it's, you know, it's really it really is a, a, a wonderful life. It's sort of it it directs you in all sorts of ways and it mm-hmm. makes many decisions for you comfortably. So the art deco jewelry, I'm wondering if you also have an interest in art deco books or uh, books produced during the art deco period, because there's quite a few that have memorable um, dust jackets with ziggurats and similar styles mm-hmm. that we see in architecture. I'm, I'm wondering if that's something you also are interested in. Yes, I have a collection myself. Um, you know, there there are 
fairly hard to come by, I mean, and they're expensive. But one thing that's interesting is that there are many books that have Art Deco type illustrations, but they're not known to be uh, Art Deco. People don't think of them in those terms. And also through my years of selling and studying Art Deco, uh, the one thing I learned is that Art Deco isn't always angular. You know, people think of it in that way, it, it being geometric. Yeah. But it followed uh, the Art Nouveau period. And there are many people who, for instance, in Art Nouveau, who did very angular things like Charles Rennie Macintosh and people like that. But um, it's much more varied than people think it is. So I know this isn't a, a program on Art Deco, but... Oh, I find it very interesting. I find the dust jackets very interesting. Years ago, I once uh, I went to New Zealand, and in New Zealand, there's a town called Napier that was flattened by an earthquake in 1931, I think, or 1930, and they rebuilt the entire town in Art Deco styling with Art Deco architecture mm. everywhere because they had to start again from scratch, and that was the style of the day, and that's a very beautiful town to it visit. Is. Now, what yeah. year did that happen? I think it was 1931 or 1930. I forget now. Okay. It was a big, big New Zealand earthquake. Um, but yeah, the... well, that's much more fascinating because one thing is you find that when people do this sort of retro thing, they have a very, very uh, false impression of what the design is, and it's less organic when they're choosing to follow a style. Mm. And but. This had being built in the 30s, which, of course, was it was still Art Deco in America, although in Europe it was already over. Right. So, right. Um, it's a yeah, I find it very interesting, probably because it's like years ago, the first when I visited America for the first time, one of the first things you do is go and visit uh, the Empire State Building. And I think that's a very when special did you first experience. Visit America? I was 18 or 19, came over to paint houses one summer. Oh, I, was really? 19, I was 19, yeah. How on earth did you get a job like that, or did you even know about it? Uh, there was a scheme where Brits could come over, and uh, it was like an exchange scheme. Brits could come over to America and do summer jobs, and Americans could come over to Britain. Oh. And uh, so I toured around, and saw a lot of places as a as a student but of course the empire state building was one of the first things on my agenda right right i'll say you know well yeah. my husband came uh from england he was already 30 when he moved to canada and uh he did think that he was going to see a lot of ranch type bungalows with four car garages. He never had a sense that there was another kind of life here. It was all from the movies. So yeah. he promptly rented a high rise apartment. <laughs> <laughs> so talking of buildings, your building has an interesting story associated with it. Can you tell us about the prohibition tunnel in your building's basement? Yes, well, um, you. I'm sure you don't know this, but this is an, uh, an area, it's South St. Louis, it's just south of downtown. We're about five minutes by car from downtown. 
and there are many breweries around. The most famous, of course, is the Lemp Brewery. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. And the Lemp Mansion is nearby, which is uh, authentically uh, 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 haunted. And uh, so there were most of the people that lived in this area. You know, it's, it's, it's really, they're very interesting buildings, but they're working class buildings. And uh, so most of the people that lived here uh, worked for the brewery, for the Lemp Brewery which closed in 1929 when uh, Prohibition came. I think it was 29. So naturally, these people suddenly had no way of earning a living. So many of them, I mean, they did all sorts of things, and one of them was to make their own whiskey and beer. So in the backyard of this building, which the building was built in 1896, and in the backyard, you can see there's a chute that uh, you send the grain down to this room, that, which is under the backyard. And the room is all concrete and brick, and it has a bottle uh, capper. And there's a tunnel then that goes from this room into the basement of this building. And what happened was when we first bought it, and I was there at night a lot, putting together things, getting the shop together. These people came by from California. They said that every time they came to St. Louis, they came by to visit this building because their great-great-grandmother had owned it. And they told me all about how uh, she served meals in the basement and there were there were even when we bought it there were long tables and uh you can see the the steps going down to the basement they're so wavy you can just imagine the hundreds of people that went down there to get a drink i mean it's probably it was probably the steps going upstairs aren't quite as interesting <laughs> but yeah. going to the basement they are so you know i haven't been there been back in in that room for years uh, because I'm sort of creeped out. I'm worried that there might be rodents or something. I don't know. But uh, everybody everybody that I tell, they want to go back there. And my husband always takes them back there so they can. It's actually quite a long tunnel. It's surprisingly right. long. But it's a fascinating building because I had the history done on it. And it was built by Germans, which... In this area of St. Louis, there are a lot. St. Louis is, I suppose, after the French, you know, it was most. There were mostly Germans here, so, and this whole street now, you know, there there are small buildings, with uh, there are a lot of shops, mm -hmm. and then there's a main street, and on the other side, there there are mostly Mexican restaurants and gal little galleries. Right. So this so, is an area that people come now to now to to eat and drink and go to a nightclub maybe. It's yes. like a entertainment well, area. That's right. Well, the fascinating thing about it is that um you know how in some areas the artists and bohemians start the movement and it's suddenly all of a sudden taken all over by the wealthier people and it becomes a stylish place and a, an expensive place. 
Yeah. Well, I, I suppose it's because of the, you know, the very small buildings. I don't know, but this has always remained more bohemian. It's never really sort of arrived at that point, which is good because it, even though it's gotten more expensive, it's still uh, right. affordable for artists and and people who just kind of want to do their thing and survive. So, so it's a good location for a used bookstore then. Yes, yes. Well, I would like it if we had more bookstores on the street, and I'm doing my best to encourage <laughs> that kind of thing. But um, I think the I think the other thing is. Um, the idea that, you know, people are always surprised. And I suppose there are people who maybe don't read much or they don't go to bookstores, but they have this idea that people don't read anymore. And uh, that's not I true. Find, no, no. And I can assure young you, people, it's not true. Young people uh, who, you know, I understand the, the need for a, uh, a tablet or a Kindle or anything like that, but it's good when you're traveling. But you know, there are, nobody could reproduce art books or architecture books on a Kindle. Or on a, you know, it's it's. I don't know. I don't think it's going to disappear very quickly. Certainly not in our lifetime. So, Ivanka, um, what what are your memories from? around 1996 when you started selling on Abe Books? Well, I will tell you this. It was a very distinct change in everything. I don't remember the date exactly. I do remember that before uh, selling on the internet, you know, we'd go through those journals every week, you know, with the tiny little print yeah. And send out postcards. I'd have I'd send out a few hundred a week and it was a yeah. lot of work. A B Bookman and things like that. Yes. And I did I did very well with it. But uh and there was a certain amount of excitement, you know, getting the <laughs> cards in the mail back from people who were wanted to buy. But I had gone away the day when we uploaded for the first time. And I can remember that the woman that worked for me called me at my hotel as excited as could be because we had sold 30 books. On the first yeah. day. Yeah, well, I mean, not that selling 30 books is the main thing, but when do you know in an hour that you sold 30 books, right? In the old days, you would never know that. They'd creep in one at a time here and there, and you'd you'd answer them and see if they, they'd have a question and you'd answer the question. And then maybe they decide to buy and a check would come in the mail and the whole process could take a month. But here it was one day and we knew that we sold 30 books. What does the future hold for you? You've been doing this a, lot, a long time now. What are your plans? Well, um, I'm 80 years old. <laughs> I don't know if you make plans at 80. That sounds very morbid, but um, I think that my plan right now is my brother is part of the business and uh, there is only one thing in the business. He's very good at everything. He knows a lot about everything, but my main thing is to work with him on listing books and 
you know, I don't think, I mean, I said that in a, a fairly morbid way, but I don't feel that morbid about it. I do live in the present and I always have plans for things that I'm doing, but I suppose I don't call it future plans. Right. Makes sense. Makes sense. <laughs> you know, um, it's, it's a funny thing, semantics. You know? <laughs> indeed. Indeed. Um, okay. One more question, which we ask to all our guests, and that is what book or book are you current or books are you currently reading? Well, I am a great lover of Russian literature. Uh, as I told you, my background is I'm Slavic. And it isn't just, well, I suppose that the the uh, mentality appeals to me a lot. Um, but I, I I think that I love the idea. I mean, there there, are, there is action in, in the Russian books, but it is more about what's going on in the mind, what people, what the person is thinking. And, but, um, the one that I'm rereading, and I reread it every few years because I love it so much. It's called Dead Souls, and the author is Gonsharov. And I also like uh, I, Isaac by Shavit Singer and uh, Isaac Babel, mm-hmm. who is not a very cheery writer, but it's oh, it's oh, so you know, so uh, really sensitive and and uh, thought provoking, and well, thought provoking—that's kind of a cliche, but you know, it it really does get to you. It, you really understand it. You understand what he's thinking. All right. So, and my great thing, the great thing is though, that there's a one. Oh, I'm very interested in the Romanovs and the Tsarist family. Oh. Yeah, but there is a wonderful book called A Lifelong Passion, and that is it's all the letters between the Tsar and the Tsarina and their family, all written in English, because they spoke English to each other. Now I only mention that because the great sadness is that I don't speak or read Russian, so everything I read is in translation. But that was my opportunity to read something that Russians wrote right. in English. So, Right. Actually, I do have one more question. Do you have a dog? I have two dogs. Yeah, I can do hear, you hear them. them. I can hear them. Do you have a dog? I do have a dog. What, what's the name of your dogs? Well, <laughs> the, I have a boxer called Moses. And I have a French bulldog called Charlie. And in fact, you know, Charlie is very intelligent. He, uh, Moses is 13 and Charlie is three. So Moses is having kind of a rough time now. I cook his food for him because he, you have to convince him to eat, you know. What about your dog? I have a dog called Hunter who's about five or six. He's like a big fluffy black retriever. Oh. Um, do you take your dogs to the bookstore then? Well, yes. Uh, uh, actually, I've Charlie. I've only started taking him in the last year because he's settled down a bit, a lot more. But uh, you know, different dogs are more comfortable there. You can't have a dog that's too interested in people because they just, you know, they just go crazy. But 
I don't know if you've ever watched uh, 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 Project Runway, and they go to Mood, which is a, a great uh, fabric store in New York that all the designers okay. go to. And there's a, a kind of a, a, a Boston Terrier there <laughs> that everybody has to walk around, you know. Oh, okay. But, you know, I, it's interesting that you say that because nobody ever really thinks of a dog in the bookstore. They think of a cat, right? Yes. A because cat on the cats can lie on the shelves. And <laughs> I yeah. have a parrot, too, by the way. Oh, in the bookstore as well? No, no, I don't or take him there, but I have a parrot who's a book lover. And I only say that because... I have a shelf of maybe there were about 10 or 12 books that are my favorites that I look at often. And one day I pulled one of the books out and the backs of all the books were all chewed off. So <laughs> parrots are very destructive. Well, that's probably a, a good place to stop. Um, I want to say thank you to y Yvanka Hammond for joining us and more importantly, for selling with Abe Books for 25 years. Thank you so much. Really Thank you. enjoyed it. Yvanka is the owner of Hammond Books and Antiques in St. Louis, Missouri. My name is Richard Davis. Thank you for listening. You've been listening to an Abe Books podcast. And we'll see you all again soon. <laughs>